Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm CJ, and I'm excited to be joined this week by Crystal Chang. Hey there. Ashley Bohens. Hey. And our very special guest this week, Mitch Young. Glad to be here. Now, Mitch is the principal at Forsyth Central High School. It's a local high school here in our area. And we're excited to have you on this week. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're talking about how to talk to your students about bullying. And that's why we're excited to have Mitch. So Mitch, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, and uh, how you became the principal of Forsyth Central High School? Yeah, I... uh... I have been a teacher, been an educator for the last 18 years, a uh, history teacher and uh, basketball coach in another life. And um, so I think sort of the natural progression, when you've, been a, when you've been a head coach and you've been a teacher who loves kids and love the classroom, you, after about seven, eight, nine years, you can almost set your watch to it. People start to get a little itchy for what's next and how can I help Save the world, and yeah. uh, which, by the way, is why you should go into teaching. And that's the business we're in, <laughs> saving the world. And um, so that just sort of natural progression led to, to looking for more leadership opportunities. And so started out as an administrative assistant and onto an assistant principal and uh, was blessed in 2014 uh, to be asked by the superintendent of schools in Forsyth County to, to lead Forsyth Central High School. And okay, how- and I'm going to interject yeah. for a second because Mitch isn't just a local principal. He was... The local principal um, under whom I served, and I think you were an assistant principal at the time and, and went on to become a principal, but absolutely one of the best leaders I've ever met. If there's anybody I try to be like when it comes to leadership, it's Mitch Young. Um, he was innovative and somehow figured out how to be both the, the teacher's principal and the kid's principal, and usually someone will lean one way or the other, and he was a great advocate for both, so I'm well, super excited. That you're I have here. never forgiven Orange for taking you away from us. So <laughs> I what just you tell guys you. are saying is Mitch can tell us some stories about Crystal. Oh, I probably could. public school teacher. I mean... I could probably tell you a few, but... This podcast is about something else, so... <laughs> it, it is, but no, we um, we did. We, we had a great thing going, and... Um, Crystal is one of those that that really just connected with her kids in such a way that they wanted to work hard for, mm-hmm. and uh, we hated hated when you left the classroom. But I think you're you're probably helping a lot more now. We're doing oh, our best. This makes me want to cry. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I know it's so nice. Let's talk about. Yeah, we. Yeah, yeah. Let's. <laughs> all right. So so let's let's jump into it. So you know, before we jump into our conversation, though, I thought, hey, let me just as the host, let me bring some stats to the table just so that we are all on the same page. And I know, Mitch, you're probably well acquainted with a lot of these kinds of numbers, but you know, someone might be diving into this for the first time. And here's why this matters to us. Whether you're student, pastor, small group leader, uh, so. Here, here are the numbers. So one in three or four students in the United States in middle school and high school uh, admit to have being bullied. Like they, they'll openly say, yes, this has been a problem for me. So uh, that's, that's probably one of the most important stats, just because right off the bat, if you're, you're leading a, a ministry with 40 students, 10 of those students would say, yeah, 
this has been a problem for me. Um, so 70% of, of middle school and high schoolers say that they've seen bullying happen in their schools. Uh, and then only, but here's the interesting thing, only 20 or 30% of students who have been bullied would actually tell an adult about right. it after the fact, which makes our job as, mm -hmm. as, as, uh, as ministry leaders that much more important to, to reach students and, and help them open up and talk about this really important topic. So when we think about bullying, something comes to mind for all of us. So different things come to mind. And my initial thought is you've got that big guy picking on the little guy in the hallway, but we know it's a lot different than that too. You've got Instagram direct messages. You've got things going on, you know, in the classroom uh, over text messages. So let me just ask, so what does bullying look like for middle school and high school students? I'm so glad that you asked it that way, because I think we all have different definitions and I think it's really important that we define what bullying is. Um, because the kids who are truly being bullied may be hesitant to say so, but I've also had students quick to say, I'm being bullied when really you weren't invited to a party. And that's right. such a heavy word to use for something that isn't heavy that I think we need to make sure we know what we're talking about when we say bullying. And I'm so glad to hear you say that because I came today and my one apprehension was that I was going to be the fly in the ointment <laughs> of the direction of this conversation because I don't know that our society has really defined bullying appropriately. Mm -hmm. And it's because exactly what Crystal just said. Kids have been mean to each other throughout all of time. But the occasional one stop being mean to each other doesn't itself constitute bullying. Right. Um, bullying is, it, to me, mm -hmm. and what we look at as high school, is when you have someone really being targeted. Mm -hmm. And when you add that targeted element where it's going to be relentless or where it's going to be continuous or, you know, repeated. Now we're, now we're getting into bullying, you know, and, it, and it's a lot like harassment. Being told something that made you uncomfortable, you tell that person to stop and they continue doing it, well, that becomes harassment. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, someone says something you don't like and you tell them to stop and they keep doing it to get to you, well, that, that, that's harassment, that's bullying. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because not every hurt feeling amounts to bullying. Right. And it really does a disservice to kids who are truly being bullied it does. when a kid who maybe got their feelings hurt because they weren't invited somewhere or because someone didn't like their shoes, Yeah, it does a disservice to the kid who's actually being tortured to say that yeah. those are the same thing. And, right. and where bullying goes off the rails and why it mm -hmm. is so bad today, in, in, in my opinion, is, and you, you guys mentioned the social media aspect mm -hmm. to it, but, and, and this is probably worn out, everybody says this now, but it's so true. When, when I was in school, you know, I graduated mm -hmm. in the, you know, the early 90s from high school, when you went home, home was a safe zone. Yeah. It's that. And so you may have caught a little flack at school, and part of that was character building. And sometimes you have the stereotypical, as, as you talked about, that the bullying where the big guy's picking on the little guy or the jock's picking on the nerd or that sort of thing. But you knew when you got home, you were you safe. Were safe. Right. And today... If there aren't parameters put on your technology by parents, and I think that's a, really a place to explore now, you get, you get home and those parameters aren't there, that harassment, bullying, abuse, whatever you want to, term you want to use, goes on all night long. Yeah, there is no break from it. No break. That's so true. So how long have you been in the public school system, Mitch? Uh, 18 years. So you, have you noticed an increase in your school system or, you know, as you've made the transition from teacher to assistant principal, have yeah. you noticed an increase in this I, issue? I, you know, I've, I've noticed an increased reaction to the issue. Interesting. I, there's been a huge reaction to back to the point Chris made of claims of being bullied. Yeah. So those numbers are, are far greater 
than what they were. And it becomes really difficult for the educator, the adult in the situation yeah. to sort out and filter out what, what is, are you being bullied or did you not get your way? Hmm. Are you being bullied or did someone that you really like not return the interest or the affection? And so defining it as just becomes so important. But I, I, again, I think what's worse now than what has ever been. Mm-hmm. And I think if it, it's been lumped together under bullying is the things that kids do say mm-hmm. are so off the charts, rude and harsh yeah. and mm-hmm. mean spirited. I don't know that there's more kids doing it, but the kids that do do it are so harsh because they're hiding behind a device. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say their voice is just louder now because they have more ways to say it. Yeah. I'd be curious to know how much is fallout from the whole zero tolerance push. Cause I know for me, I was, um, I taught six years in public schools before I was in full-time ministry. And that was when the whole zero tolerance push came. And like, as soon as a teacher saw anything, if you didn't fill out that purple form, then you could be called to court and you could be in trouble. I I, I completely agree with you. And And kids are so smart. They'll use that as a weapon. I mean, I've had students tell me things with a smirk on their face and go, you have to report that. Right. Okay. I think you might be using that as a weapon, not as a protection. Yeah. Mm. Our our kids are so much more worldly educated on rights and on, Mm. uh, you know, what you talk about, knowing how they can use what's a, what's a well-intentioned rule or policy. They know how to use that against you. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, and I'm holding this this iPhone is they walk around with a PlayStation, a computer, mm-hmm. a movie theater, all wrapped mm-hmm. into something and holding the palm of their hands. Everything we wanted as kids. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Oh, and I can remember as a kid watching the Jetsons, someday maybe I can talk on the phone to somebody and see them, you know, and, and we've got iWatches now and you've got, so, you know, but while they're, they're more, I wouldn't say educated, they're more aware of everything that goes on and can yeah. spew out more facts. That's that sometimes replaces the education that needs to go in. You know, we talk all the time about the why behind the what, but the understanding of how to use these mm-hmm. with a, with a purpose and intentionality has gone away. So they're armed with all these facts and all these policies and all these mm-hmm. things without any emotional maturity to know how to handle it. Right. And they're also listening and observing other people voicing it. So they're exposed to a lot more opinions and words or expressions than they ever were before. CJ, I wanted to say something because I've been sitting here thinking about Uh one of the statistics you shared in the beginning, which was one in three or one in four Mm -hmm. of our students have reported bullying of some, being bullied of some kind. And I was just sitting here thinking like, what issue has that high of a percentage that our students are all dealing with, whether they're the bully, the bullied or the bystander, you know? I mean, I know I I can think of divorce, which would be 50%, but what other... One in four girls report sexual abuse. Okay, there you go. So, but like, th- think about it. But like, on that level, like, large, we talk about number. divorce a lot. We talk about sexuality a lot. We don't talk about bullying a lot. Right. Can huh. you think of anything else? No. Can you think of anything? 25% else? of every kid? Yeah, that's a high percentage. Or higher. And, and the yeah. thing to point out is while we're worried about trying to drill down on a definition, mm-hmm. That's because we're educators and we're, we're trying to, for the kid, if they perceive it to be bullying, it doesn't matter how we define it. Exactly. If they perceive that they're true. getting so bullied, then, then that is what it is to them. And that's where I, I think, I think we have spent as a, as a society in the last three or four years, so much time fixated on the bully that we really need to shift the conversation, not to the bully, but to kids on how to cope 
with all the things thrown at them, of which bullying is, is obviously, in their minds, one that's, that's greatly increased. Mm-hmm. You know, coping yeah. skills and learning how to deal with setbacks. And it goes back to your zero tolerance and other things. But, but equipping parents not to be that, not to raise their kids in fear, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, but instead to raise them equipped to deal with what life throws mm-hmm. at them and, and just know you're going to get kids that are, that are coming at you that are not very nice. Yeah. And it's that way in the adult world. And, but we, we want to get our zero tolerance policies and we want to hammer that. And it's all well intention. Right. We want to hammer that little mean kid. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that we, you can't let go of that focus, but I'm not sure we've spent enough time helping the kid who needs the social, emotional, the life skills, life mm-hmm. skills. Absolutely. Too. I feel like that's one of the things I taught the most in the ninth grade was self-advocacy mm-hmm. because parents would call and want to fix every yeah. problem and ask every question. And I said, Hey, you know, there's a time when your kid's going to need to advocate for themselves and when they need your help, great to step in. But right. I think if you want to know their test average, they don't need your help. Right. <laughs> they can Which ask is confusing that. when you tell a kid to talk to an adult yes. about bullying. Yeah. Right? It, right. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's a mixed message that we that we send, but we've got to get better at that message. Right. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, Mitch. Uh, so once you kind of filter out the false alarms or like, hey, we just this is a relational issue. We can we can work yep. this out, and you identify, okay, this student has been bullied, and that makes it to your office. Yeah. What 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 do those issues typically look like? What how how does the yeah. average high school student, yeah. you know, in your school system, what are they facing? Well, the the real bullying that comes out in high school. The real true, how we would Mm -hmm. at least at the table define, targeted, is incredibly difficult to manage because it comes in the form of fat shaming, of Mm -hmm. what are you, anorexic, you know, um, things that kids couldn't possibly change about themselves. The the handful of mean kids that are out there are going to just sniff those things out and know those vulnerabilities, and that's what they're going to... That's what they're going to attack. And the damage that that does to a kid really sometimes goes beyond the scope of a school counselor. Hmm. And so we, you know, particularly at our school, we're working really closely right now with some local therapists that that we're allowing to come on campus to meet with kids, obviously with parent permission. But that's something that years ago was never, never allowed. You make your appointment, go off campus. Well, a lot of these kids can't get therapy. Uh, appointments or they can't get them there or we're partnered with united way who if if families can't afford the therapy the therapist will come on campus and united way will kick in and 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 help you know pay for those sessions so that the kids get the sessions over and over so those are those are kids that maybe they come with problems but those might be the kids that are really truly Mm. victimized by the bullying that that we try to help in terms of the bullies themselves it's hard to prove sometimes, yeah. you know, because what will happen is you'll get that kid in and you'll say, you know, tell me what you said to her. What did she tell you what she said to me? You know, and mm-hmm. did, did he tell you the other side of the story? You know, and, and that's part of parenting. That's part of being educators. And you develop over time a sense for right. who's telling truth and who's not, you know, and you, you start to discern that. But again, we've begun as a school to shift our focus to helping the one that's, that's been injured Mm-hmm. And trying to be more proactive in our approach to try to curb the the behaviors that, that lead to that. And and I, I can go into that at some point, too, what we're doing on a proactive level. Yeah. I imagine it's really hard to prove with high school bullies, too. Because by that time, they're a little more sophisticated in their language skills. Yeah. They can be a little more vague, a little more secretive, a little more 
I'll say this in a way that another 10th grader will understand, but an adult may not pick up on exactly what that is. That, it, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, when you watch the movies, it's very easy. Like, like right. you say, it's the big jock that's the quarterback <laughs> right. who picks on the nerdy kid, um, you know, and has him take his test for him. So, you know, and, and all the crazy movies that we grew up with in the 80s and 90s. Which is probably and for the, some like, of you, the 2000s. But, most rare form but of it's, bullying. Yeah, right. that, that is, it is so rare that you get, in ministry, in an education, it is so rare that you get black and white situations to mm-hmm. resolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is in gray. That's so true. Gray, yeah. gray, gray. Super true. And, and so then you, you hope that you've got the right team of adults and, and that have a heart for kids more than anything else. And, you know, and you, and you treat it as you would as a parent. Yeah. So, Ashley, as, as, a, as the middle school expert at the table here, what is, how does uh, middle school bullying differ from high school? Are, are you noticing any differences there? I mean, I would agree with everything Mitch and Crystal just said uh, occurs in middle school. It might just look a little different. I think that there's also a lot more social bullying that happens in middle school um, because they don't know who they are, who they want to be, or who their friends really are yet, but also they're not self-aware enough um, where they might actually, like, for example, I follow some of my students or, or past students on, on Instagram, and every time they post something, I'm like, <laughs> they're going to get really made fun of for yeah. that post because you're not yeah. self-aware enough to yeah. know what you just posted. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not a good singer. Like, right, right. you're not. You shouldn't be singing in your Instagram posts. I just sounded like a bully. But what I mean is, is like the, the lack of self-awareness mixed with the intense need to fit in and make yourself feel better by making someone else not feel good about themselves. It's, it's kind of like the perfect storm in middle mm-hmm. school. Um, but it changes so fast. Yeah. That's the other thing is like one kid could be the target of bullying for a period of time. And then it shifts to somebody else yeah. so quickly. Well, and the mixed message thing comes into that too, because we're telling at middle school and high school where, where kids are dealing with anxiety and depression. And we have a student at, at, at Central that's really near and dear to my heart that has been bad on depression. And, and the therapist is telling, look, when you're in those spots, you've got to talk to your, to your peer, your friends about it, which is good. Depression shouldn't be kept in the closet anymore and you should talk about it. But for that kid, how does he talk to his friends? He talks to him through Snapchat and Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when he puts it out there, he's doing what the therapist is telling him to do, which is talk to your friends. But in the method that our kids today yeah. use to talk to their friends, it's very rarely a one-on-one. It's a posting, which mm-hmm. then invites exactly what you're talking about, which is, do you, should you have posted that? Because you're now going to get a, you know, a whole horde of people coming at you, you know, you've opened yourself up to. Yeah. You know, it was interesting that you mentioned anxiety and depression. I don't know if this is true everywhere. This is true for the students that I serve. I have a, a group of girls that I've been with since ninth grade. They're 11th graders now. I've never seen anxiety rates as high or as many kids being treated yeah. as I do now. Yeah. And I wonder if part of it's what we were talking about, that they can't turn off the technology. So that constant mm-hmm. conversation at school never stops. Um, I wonder if, if that's part of it. And also, I wonder if that adds to the bullying situation because everybody's just at this boiling point all the time. time. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And it goes back to what Mitch said about just having the skills to navigate. Like, if you are feeling anxious or you are experiencing depression, like, how do you actually manage that when you are feeling that? I was going to also say... um, In middle school, I mean, I think that this is true about high school, but maybe more, even more so in middle school. If you look at 
you know, stories of middle school suicides, which have been on the increase. I'm not saying that bullying is the cause of middle school suicides, but I am saying when there's a connection, there is a connection of for most middle school suicides. If you look into their story, bullying was part of the equation somewhere. Again, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that that's the cause of it, but yeah, statistically there is a connection there. A few years ago, one of the most depressing projects I've ever done here uh, at Orange is I did research on student suicide. And if you look at a graph, suicide rates sharply increase. I mean, dramatically increase in the sixth grade and they steadily climb until 10th grade. And at the end of 10th grade is the first time we ever see suicide rates decline. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but part of it is they develop social skills right around the 10th grade that help them either cope with what they're experiencing or not be bullies themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what I've noticed with, with the students I serve that sometimes they're acting out in a bullying sort of way or a mean way or an unkind way. And they just aren't self-aware enough yet to know how bad that is. They think that maybe they crossed a line at a level two and it's actually a level 10. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's true also for school shootings. A lot of times bullying is part of that equation. Again, not the cause of it, but it's some, a lot of times part of the story. Mm. Yeah. So obviously we're talking about a, a lot of different angles here when it comes to bullying and you've got the, the technology aspect, you have the, you know, the social media aspect, text messages, you've got the in-person stuff going on at schools, and then you have all these false alarms that you're trying to, you know, navigate as well. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to it though, how as leaders in our respective environments in a, in a school system or at a church, how do you identify a student who uh, may be dealing with this? Can you identify a student who's dealing with this and catch that issue before it escalates to, Hey, what we're talking about now, like, Hey, maybe bullying leads to some of these other even bigger issues sometimes. So what do we need to be on the lookout for with the students we lead? Is there an answer to that question? I have one, but I don't know. Well, in some regards, and you guys can all correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think in some regards, it's the same thing we look for when we're looking for students who are experimenting with drugs for the first time. When you see a sharp change in a student's personality, when you see things that they were involved in are no longer an interest in their life, uh, when you see a dramatic change in their grades, a dramatic change in their social group, or to having no social group. I think all those that we, we always talk about are indicators have, hey, you know, th- you, you need to probably have some conversations with your child and their pediatrician and, and see what's going on. I think, I think a lot of the same characteristics come out with someone who is, is going through a social-emotional crisis yeah. that, that bullying can lead to. That's great. Um, for me, I stumbled upon this story. Um, it was actually a blog written by Glennon Doyle, who's an uh, an author. Are you familiar with her? Mm -hmm. Okay. So she wrote on her blog about, she had gone into her kid Chase's like classroom to, to talk about math or something like that. And the teacher shared something with her that she felt motivated to write about and actually had to do with bullying. And I actually, XP3 Middle School just wrote two lessons on bullying that are going to be released for our winter release. And um, one of the weeks is actually inspired by this blog. So she talks about how she's talking to the teacher, and this is what she writes. Every Friday afternoon, Chase's teacher asks her students to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of four children with whom they'd like to sit the following week. 
the children know that these requests may or may not be honored. She also asks the students to nominate one student whom they believe has been an exceptional classroom citizen that week. All ballots are privately submitted to her. And every single Friday afternoon, after the students go home, Chase's teacher takes out those slips of paper, places them in front of her, and studies them. And she looks for patterns. Who is not getting requested by anyone else? Who doesn't even know who to request? Who never gets noticed enough to be nominated? Who had a million friends last week and none this week? You see, Chase's teacher is not looking for a new seating chart or exceptional citizens. Chase's teacher is looking for lonely children. She's looking for children who are struggling to connect with other children. She's identifying the ones who are falling through the cracks of the class's social life. She's discovering whose gifts are going unnoticed by their peers, and she's pinning down right away who's being bullied and who is doing the bullying. And then Chase's teacher is brilliant. Yeah, I have chills on my whole body reading it, and I want to blow my eyes out. And I love it. Later, it says this. See, this brilliant woman knew that all violence begins with disconnection. All outward violence begins as inner loneliness. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So powerful. I I, I feel like, man, we can translate that. I mean, I know this is a classroom, but like we can translate that into ministry, into our small groups. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And and it's... That's good stuff. That is really good stuff. And that's just a testament to one of perhaps the best ways to address this issue is teacher involvement, small group leader involvement, and, and parents and, and parent involvement. And, but like these teachers and small group leaders, just you have to know your students well enough to be able to notice when, when something shifts. You know, I mean, I could look at my, you know, I lead a middle school small group and I can look at my guys and know which ones are, uh, they're all weird because they're middle school guys, right? <laughs> but but which ones in are... In a good way. Right, of course. Yeah. I, mean, I love them. Don't call but them like, weird, you bully. <laughs> they're, they're you only all, did it once, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't target any of them. They're all... Oh, there you go. But you, you can... The more you get to know them, you can identify the ones who are uh, just a little bit more different than some of the others. So the ones who are going to go to school that first week, you know, that I'm waiting for because it's going to happen and are going to feel attention. And then you notice that, ten- you, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. once you get to know your students well enough, you can notice some of those shifts. And what you just shared, Ashley, it was a very almost kind of almost scientific way to notice some of those shifts in a, in a classroom setting. Yeah. It gives us an equation, right? And I also love what she did because she shifted the conversation from more of a reactive approach to bullying to Mm -hmm. a very proactive, like if we can look for disconnection, which is the beginning Mm -hmm. of maybe down the road, whether it's depression or bullying or whatever the situation is, I mean, disconnection can be the root of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that the mindset shift is what makes her stand out. And I I feel like it challenges me every time I read it. Well, and what a powerful motivator to have what, I mean, we're all biased towards a small group's ministry around the table, but what a powerful motivator to have a small group's ministry in your church. Because if disconnection is the issue, then having a group of kids they're connected to and another adult leader they can be connected to in their lives is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One who's every week saying, Hey, how's, how's school going this week? How's school mm-hmm. going every single week? Yeah. CJ, you hit something really important is when you said we need to all be working together and like the, the church leader, the small group leader, the parents, the teachers, the school administrators, the bus drivers, the coaches, like if we can get everybody working together, there's nobody that I just listed that yeah. doesn't know bullying's 
an issue. You know what I mean? And so how can we get everybody working together for our, for our teenagers in our communities? Yeah. I don't know how, but that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Mitch knows. Well, I, I don't, I do know that, that that's something that, that we've begun to experiment with at our school. We call bulldog best. And there's this wonderful leader in our school named Bethany Blumenshine Bagwell who I is leading her. that initiative. And she may or may not be sitting in here right now, but um, <laughs> but has taken this this um, research based strategy program the state has called PBIS or Positive Behavior Intervention System, precise centralized it, and we call it our Bulldog Best. But it is really aimed at being very clear in our in our expectations of students and teachers and bus drivers and custodians, everybody involved in our little social system that we have there, explaining to them, demonstrating to them, having photos on the walls or or signs on the walls and and continuously going over the things, the positive things we expect behavior-wise from everybody in in our school. And when you catch somebody exemplifying that, and again, that, that's a little off the norm. Normally you catch kids doing bad things. But when you catch a teacher or you catch a custodian or you catch a student doing something that really exemplifies their bulldog best, we throw them a ticket and recognize them. I love that. And that ticket every week, and I think Fridays at, at lunchtime, those tickets are drawn from a, from a box where the, the kids put them in the box in the cafeteria oh, and the teachers put them in there. And the teacher that nominated them as well as the kid we recognize a whole lot of people for doing a lot of good stuff. And it, it's funny because there's a little element of old school left in me. So, <laughs> and I was just telling the story earlier today, but, um, you know, Bethany and, and Josh Ho and our leadership team folks that wanted to, to really jump off board with this, uh, a year and a half ago came to me, came to me with it. And I said, you know, I'm not sure that we should be just rewarding people for doing what they should be doing. You know, and, I, and that's kind of a curmudgeon attitude and, and an attitude I think that a lot of teachers have when they first heard it. And about partway through last year, I got a really nice note, a text message from our superintendent of, of schools in Forsyth County, tell me what a great job I was doing and our team was doing with a, with a particular thing that we had going on at school. I was very proud of that and could not wait to show some of our folks and show it to Bethany. And Bethany looked at it and said, oh, isn't that so sweet? How'd that make you feel? I was like, oh, you know, anytime the boss man tells you something, it felt great. She goes, really? Weren't you just doing your job? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, yeah. She goes, oh. She said, so there's a difference between recognizing and rewarding. You keep talking about rewarding. Everybody wants to be recognized. Yeah. From you down to the, you know, to, to anybody on your staff and any kid in the school. And so she, she made a great point to me. And, and, you know, so a lot of our faculty jumped on board with this and some bus drivers, and it's expanded, and it's really taking root at our school. It's not going to fix the problems, but you're, trying, you're addressing yeah. the culture from a positive angle yeah. rather than a reactive angle. You, mm-hmm. you know, Mitch, I can tell you as someone years down the road with a similar thing in place when I was in elementary school, um, there was this boy I was grading his test, and he was getting a better grade than me because I could see he was grading mine, so I erased some of his answers and made them wrong so that I beat him <laughs> on the test. <laughs> Only an Enneagram 3 would do that. But then I felt so guilty afterwards. So I told my teacher what I did. And she gave me a cop being good, just like you talked about. Yeah. And I remember it. Like I, I, was, it. I wasn't punished for what I did, but I was rewarded for telling the truth. And I still <laughs> am telling it. And I'm yeah. 34 years I think, old. I think that's a terrible example. No, it's a perfect <laughs> example. 
Well, you know, um, it's an I example mean, it's for a, sure. It's, it's an, an example. It's an example. It's an example. Which is outstanding. <laughs> What's rewarded is repeated. So right. maybe you'll cheat again. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but all of this, all yeah, these yeah. things that we're talking about, so often we are dealing with downstream issues. And we rarely get upstream to mm-hmm. attack them at the front or to try to change the, the direction of the stream. And that's what I know in small groups that are intentional, mm-hmm. in schools that are intentional, we have to get to things upstream. And, you know, and at school, we often say, well, the kids are this way because that's what happened at middle school. And the middle school, blame it on the elementary and so forth. And we've got to get beyond that and start working together. And eventually, we all blame it on the parents. <clears throat> and we do. <laughs> and, and we do. You know, and, and you know what? Uh, that maybe maybe the parents need some help too. And the mm-hmm. local United Way has really focused on that here in Forsyth County and trying to get some educational materials together. You know, you take your baby out of the hospital, they don't give you a manual. Mm-hmm. But if you at least got, you know, a little handout said, here's some things to think about, mm-hmm. we may can start to address some of the, the, you know, upstream issues before they flow down to us. I think it's a really good challenge too for any youth pastors listening. Um, I doubt there's any school in America that doesn't talk about this topic. And what a really awesome way to partner with the local schools, because whether they celebrate anti-bullying week Mm -hmm. or they do some kind of parent event or they're teaching units on bullying, like if you're a youth pastor, what an awesome way you can serve your local schools is come alongside them. And maybe Mm -hmm. you come in and you give a talk on it without having to like push your faith, but it's just part of building that relationship and coming together. Yep. Yeah, well, that's great, Ashley. And uh, I, speaking of you know student pastors here, you know Mitch, I want to go back to something you said too. You were talking about being proactive, you know, working upstream. You talked about parents there for a second. So if you could gather all of your students' parents in the same room, yeah, and all the student pastors, you know, in the same room too. Maybe or maybe it's a different message. But uh, what do you wish you could say to parents about bullying to be proactive? Wow, that's um, uh, you know that that is a that is a huge question, you know, a, a huge question, and I you know I think I think again I think there's two sides of the coin. You may be the parent and you don't realize it of the kid mm. who is perpetrating the the mean behaviors, and you may be the care, the parent of the child who's on the receiving end, mm-hmm. you know, or both. And in both of those, I think what. And again, I don't want to sound like a cliche, but I think at this point, what needs to be addressed is, you know, mature use and appropriate use of the technology that you've mm. put into the hands of your 10-year-old child you know, or a nine-year-old child. That right. that yeah. computer slash Game Boy slash movie theater slash whatever else, uh, Playboy, <laughs> Portal to the mm-hmm. World, um, that uh, that really could be such a tool for good. Yeah. But it is also a weapon, a social emotional weapon. And on the on the user side or the, the perpetrator side of this, you know, parents, there's only one way you're ever gonna know if your child is is on that side of it. You've gotta find a way to be able to see what it is your child is communicating out. Yeah. And there's a lot of devious ways as parents you can do that and get in there and follow your child. But I would urge you to do that, to see what's on that side. That is such good advice. Every, every youth pastor that's listening, I hope that you quote that to the parents in your ministry, that there are ways 
to get in and see what yeah. your your kids are doing on their phones, and you should be doing that. And it takes energy, but parenting is supposed to take energy. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to investigate ways, and you need to become more techno savvy, so that you can keep up with your kids and, right. and see what's going on. I mean, that's you know, so that's more. And as we know, bullying doesn't just happen in the schools; it also happens in our youth ministries, in our small groups. And I remember, you know, one specific kid in in the youth ministry that I led she was the bully in our youth group. And I'm not saying that I handled it perfectly. I think it was a learning experience, but that was a really hard conversation to have with that parent and talk to the parent about it because they left the church. The kid yeah. left mm-hmm. the church, the family left the church because that parent was in denial about their kid, which I think is a really common thing when, cause no parent wants to admit their kids, the bully. Yeah. So we, you know, we do a lot of PSAs and other things to show kids and parents. If you keep, uh, smoking cigarettes, this is what your you know your lungs are going to look like. And if you keep doing the drugs, this is what's going to look like. I don't know that we've seen any PSAs that show kids, look, when you're mean to somebody, this is what it's going to look like for them ten years down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't know some wow. sort of wake up call. It's good, um, but on the so that's all on the bully side of things, right? Or on the perpetrator side, on the receiver side, one of the things that that we have been talking about with our parents and um, was really kind of the point of last year's graduation speech or one of the points we tried to make in the graduation speech was um, you, 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 need to, you need to do a couple of things, all right? Number one is you need to make home a safe zone if for just two hours a day, mm-hmm. you know? And, and by the way, parents, this is as hard for us as it is for our kids, yeah. but turn the phones off and lock them away. And I, I don't trust, I have an 18-year-old and 15-year-old so I'm not pretending this is you know one of those easier said than done. I know how hard it is, um, and I'm up to about 45 minutes in our family. You know, full disclosure. <laughs> so, but if if and I'm distracted by playing cards and doing some family things. Imagine, you know, putting puzzles together. Imagine imagine <laughs> doing some things like that. But those are novelty things. That but mm-hmm. but putting away the devices and the electronics for two hours a day. And in two hours' time, the impact that can have, the positive impact that can have to just be disconnected yeah. from everything is, is huge. So that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it that, that again, and, and we'll be doing PSAs with our own families this year and our, and our own kids, but it, but it stems from a graduation speech that we made this past year, is we need for our kids to understand that the images that they see, that the posts that they read are fake. I, I, and I say this to, to my wife all the time when we're looking at Facebook. Nobody is that happy all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you are just looking at images where everybody seems so happy and you're like, I'm not happy all the time, you start to begin to think that there's something wrong with you. And now the, the, the littlest slight or the little thing becomes, oh my gosh, I'm being bullied. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. these things are, are bigger than what they are. Because the perception is everybody else is happy all the time. That's a load of, of baloney. Nobody is, is that happy all the time. And, and the boys, you know, and I say this to the boys, same for the girls, but we, we pick out the boys this. The women that you're looking at and those images aren't real. They've been airbrushed. Mm-hmm. Nobody, no, nobody's perfect. Nobody looks that perfect. So if you're looking throughout all your life and your relationships for something that, that a physical specimen, like you're looking at all the time on your, you know, on your phones, it, it's, 
it's not out there, you know, and, and that can, that can really disrupt relationships you're trying to build down the road. So, so we talk about those things with our, with our students and with our parents to say, take a time out and kids, mom and dad too, most of what you're looking at is not real. It's fake. And, and I, you know, it'll take a long time to drill that message home. But I, but I think other people are picking up on it because you've got school systems now in our country where, you know, where all of us are now across the land are BYOT, you know, bring your own mm -hmm. technology. And now you've got school systems that have recognized, oh my gosh, we are going to be a technology free school mm -hmm. and kind of go, you know, back in time and uh, hard to do in a public school setting for where we are. But, but, you know, there, there are situations. And I think that's the reason why. So that's really interesting. And I heard something and I, I hesitate to say it because I don't know if it's true. So if we find out that it's not true, we'll edit this out. But one of the school systems that has pioneered being technology free is in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Where people it are most likely is. to recognize the effects of technology on your life. They have taken those out of school. I think that's so interesting. And it, it makes me rethink student uh, mission trips, student camp trips, where yeah. the old, old rule was you can't bring your phones. And now, you know, it's like, well, this is kind of a part of a student's life. We're going to, we're going to let them bring their phones. Their parents are insisting we let them bring their phones. It almost makes me rethink that rule because we need to create a safe zone somewhere. But yeah. to kind of come full circle back where we, where we, where we talked about earlier on, parents would be the ones that put up the biggest fight to send their kids off to camp without a phone because they're living in fear. Mm -hmm. Sure. Now we grew up when there were our parents didn't have any cell phones, and we went to camp for a week. I remember going away to you know for two week overnight camps, and I'm fine, and everybody was fine, and we were, and their kids today will be fine, mm -hmm. but they want their kids to be connected to them the whole time too because they're living in fear. And where's that fear coming from for adults for kids? It's the 24 hour social media that we're all plugged into. Mm -hmm. So taking that first step away for a few hours might open up. Open, open up the world that's not so scary. Yeah, that's great. So good. I think one of the, the greatest gifts we can give to our teenagers um, is to help them recognize when somebody's treating you in a way that isn't a way they should treat you. You know, like helping them identify times like that because that's going to serve them in many areas of their life. Yep. And then help them identify what feelings they're having associated with it. Like somebody didn't treat me right. They keep calling me this name. I know that's not right, but how does that make me feel? So that they learn to process through that. And then the two other things I would say is, well, then what do you do about it? And, and part of skill development is role-playing. And I know that can be super cheesy, but what, it doesn't have to be a cheesy role-play. It can be, let's just talk through and pretend like we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, what can you say the next time this person says that if it's making you feel this way? Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I would say is, helping teenagers understand that talking to an adult about what's happening isn't telling on the person. Cause I think that's a lot of times why teenagers don't tell adults is because they yeah. don't want to get made fun of more. Because snitches right. get stitches. Exactly. And so I think it's helping teenagers understand that if you get an adult involved, this other person might not like you even more, but that's okay. You don't, they don't have to like you. But yeah. when you talk to an adult about it, that you trust, you're standing up for your right not to be treated that way you're not just, that way they're not just taking it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's all part of skill development. So how do you help students understand that? And maybe even, you know, the, the bigger question, and honestly, the, the 
topic of this episode is how do you talk to middle school and high school students about bullying? How do you address this? And, and Mitch, I'd love your thoughts there too. Like, okay, you've got, you've got thousands of middle school and high school pastors sitting in front of you right now. And I'm sitting here as the host of this podcast and I've got three educators in front of me who spend, you know, two former educators and one principal who spend all their time with students. What do I need to know if I'm talking to my students from stage about bullying? How do I, going back to what you said, Ashley, how do I help them open up about this? Well, simply, and I know this is difficult to, to hear from a public school administrator, and I'll go ahead and just say what'll get me fired in some areas that I think I'm saying. I think the kids have to know that there's an all-powerful God that loves them. Mm-hmm. Because I think at the core of this is what we talked about earlier is that, that feeling of being alone or disconnected, and you're not alone. Now, I have to be careful how we phrase that, obviously, because of the role I'm in, but you know, letting them know that they're not alone, letting them know examples and in bringing real life examples of people that, that they may feel connected with. I don't mean movie stars and that sort of thing, yeah. but, but never in a large group, always in a small group mm-hmm. for the same reason we talk about small groups all the time. I mean, but letting them hear from people who've lived through what they've lived through and came out on the other side and are, and are very productive and effective in, in letting them share with them the real issues that they went through. I, I, I think at the core of all this, is that sense of being alone, and and we're not alone, and and if they could understand that, I think you know I I think that's the the first skill. It's not a skill, I realize, but it's the it's the first coping mechanism that exists out there, is to come to a realization that I was put here, I'm special, and I have not figured out my way yet, but you know I'll I'll get there, and here hearing that I think is something we got to just keep drilling into them. That's great. In week one of our, our lessons on bullying that XP3 Middle School is putting together, um, we talk about how in Ephesians, it talks about how we are God's masterpiece and how when something's a masterpiece, you don't mess with it. And when we really start to believe that about ourselves and about other people, how it has the potential to change the way we treat other people and the way we allow other people to treat us. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think something Mitch said was so powerful in that kids need to understand that they're not alone because because they were created by a loving God that they have a relationship with. And also they need to be in a relationship with some other adults who maybe have been through what they're going through because yeah. that creates perspective. And something we talk about <laughs> around here all the time is that when a high schooler or a middle schooler's brain is developing, they can't see past two years. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they don't have the ability to look into the future and say, what I'm, ha- what I'm experiencing right now isn't all there is. And so to bring in an adult who says, I've been where you are and it gets better is incredibly so helpful in helping them see there is something beyond high school. So because good. It's, it's a little bit of tunnel vision for high schoolers. They can't see past the end of the school year or the end of this semester. Yeah, that's great. So what I'm hearing, you know, you are not alone. Ashley, you're saying you are a masterpiece and then, hey, this is going to get better. Like this is okay. not forever. That's, that's the message I'm hearing. Is it's that a good summary, CJ? That, hey, that, you I'm get an trying. A. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Before we wrap up, there was one other thing that came to mind as Mitch was talking about technology and parents being tethered to their students. One of the things that I've noticed, and, and maybe you've noticed this too, is that students are taking their cue from how to behave 
from their parents because maybe the student has had social media their entire life, but the parent hasn't and they're new to this world and they're not super great about figuring out what you should or shouldn't say online. And so as educators and also as ministers, I think one of our roles is going to be also helping parents understand what is appropriate and what is not appropriate because we are setting the tone for for how our students treat each other by how we treat the Republicans or how we treat the Democrats or how we treat whoever it is that that we hate online. And then as as student leaders, particularly in ministries and and especially small group leaders, I want to make sure that we remember that we also have to set the example, not just in technology, but also in what we allow in our groups. Ooh, so good. I think sometimes in our effort to be relatable to students, we are way too relaxed when something is said that is not okay. Uh, We have some rules in my group as far as things you can't joke about. You can't joke about people who are gay. You can't joke about race. You can't joke about fat. You can't joke about reputation. Like there are jokes we can't make because our goal is a safe place. And and as small group leaders and pastors, we have to be a little bit intense about those rules in order to set a a standard for what is and isn't okay. (laughs) I'm laughing. It's not funny. I'm laughing that you say that because we have our, our student spirit group that goes to the games and causes all sorts of cast the central the central crazies crazies which you may have been a founding member i'm not i'm not i <laughs> i will not but, own anything but, you know, <laughs> this we, is a different podcast we'll come back to yeah. that so but but to what you're saying is is uh, is if it's me i'm on duty or our administrators whenever particularly basketball games because you can hear everything in a gym and we will go up to the body uh, the the crazies and say look Want you to be rowdy, want you to harass the other team, want you to cheer for our team, want you to have a great time. But do not pick out any individual on the other team. Do not make any racial references. Do not make any weight references. There shouldn't be any, you know, sounds of religion. It should be, it, it, it should be, and by the way, you can fuss and yell and scream and holler and boo and you know, make uh, you know, make fun of the referees if you want, but don't make fun of their race. Don't make fun of their weight. Don't make fun of those things that are that are personally damaging. Mm-hmm. And we say that to them, and they're usually pretty good. We've kicked out maybe two kids in the last five years, but that's great stuff, Crystal. That's such yeah. a good a good example of setting the standard early, though. Yeah, I love that. And those, that's a great example, and Crystal. I mean, it really is all about creating that safe place. Communicate value from stage. You're not alone. And then create a safe place for your students to process. I mean, that's that's really what it's all about. Well, Mitch, we are so thankful that you came on and shared your insight with us as a school principal. I mean, your experience is just invaluable for, for us and for our listeners. I mean, just the chance to sit across from a current principal is huge insight for all of us. So thank you so much. And Crystal, Ashley, thank you both for joining us as well. And thank you for listening to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast through your podcast app and leave us a review. Your review will help us make this podcast better. And if you have a friend or another youth pastor, educator, or youth leader who came to mind as you were listening to this episode, uh, who would benefit from hearing this conversation, you should consider sharing this episode with them as well. And the best way to do that is to send them to our website, rethinkingym.org. Until next time, thank you for listening.